This week's episode is sponsored by Audible. If you haven't been listening to audiobooks yet, go to investlikeaboss.com slash audio and claim your free book today. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to another episode of Invest Like a Boss. I'm excited for a Q3 update with Sam where we're going to be talking about everything that we've been doing these last couple months. How are you doing, Sam? Ah, uh, raining in that chi, baby. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. And my favorite episode of the year are always the quarterly updates. So I'm feeling very good. You know what? I'm really, really glad that you said that because I was, I've been stressed these last probably a couple months since we probably did the last update, I feel so broke. (laughs) And I keep thinking my net worth is dropping. Everything is falling apart. And it wasn't until literally five minutes ago when I filled out my spreadsheet, my net worth spreadsheet, I was like, you know what? Everything's okay. Like the world is not falling apart. That's interesting. I'm, I'm almost relieved to hear you say that because, you know, as they say, misery loves company. This has been a bad, I mean, it's been a good quarter. Don't get me wrong. But in terms of stress level, dude, I, this whole quarter has flown by and I can't remember anything except for being behind my laptop and on like overdosing on cups of coffee. (laughs) Well, you know, let's talk about that first. Where, Where have you been these last three months? I think that the last time we recorded a quarterly update, I think I was already back in Thailand, but we'd just gotten back. But that's pretty much been it. I've been, I've been in Thailand and I've been around Asia a little bit, but mostly, yeah, mostly Thailand, mostly Chiang Mai, Bangkok, and par- partially in Hong Kong. So the last time we recorded was July. And since then, I've turned 36 and I'm looking at my life completely differently. I'm thinking, should I be settling down? Is this insane that I'm just traveling around, living out of a, literally a duffel bag? And there's a lot to a lot I have to decide in these next couple of months and this next year. But I've done so in – I think I was in Ukraine. I was definitely in Ukraine when we last recorded. And I was there for almost three months, which is like a pretty crazy amount of time to be in a country where nobody speaks your language. I don't speak Russian or Ukrainian. And thank God my friend Chris had flown out, who also has an online business, so we were able to at least have each other. Mm-hmm. But it was like a rough couple months. You seem to be okay in those types of situations, or at least sometimes you don't really show what you're feeling at the time. But I talked to Chris, and he seemed like he was always ready to get out of there. But the the, the short amount of time that we spent there last year was was enjoyable, but I think three months is obviously too long now. Yeah, I think... When I was getting ready to leave Ukraine, I was I was ready to go. I'm like, okay, when is the next flight out? But I knew that once I left, I would miss certain things about it because as I wrote about on my blog, Ukraine is one of those places where it's either really, really good or really, really hard or bad. Mm-hmm. And the good parts of it are amazing and the bad parts of it are are terrible. So it's one of those places, it really is like a love-hate place. It's it's probably more of a dichotomy than any other place I've ever traveled. Mm. And I thought for sure, there's no way I'm coming back here ever again. And literally three weeks later, I was like, oh, I miss Ukraine. I wish I could just go back for you know a week or two. Well, you can, buddy. You can. 
Now, turning 36, I know you were worried about that when you're 35. Do you th- I've, I've heard from a lot of people that turning 30 is actually the worst, the, the one that really makes you think. But I have to imagine it's totally dependent on your life situation and where you're at right then. So if you're, if you're 39 and you're single and turning 40, 40 might be the, the, the you know, the, the birthday that stresses you the most. Or if you're 29 and you have accomplished nothing in your career and, and floating around aimlessly, then 30 might be the biggest, <laughs> you know, most concerning birthday. But 36 just doesn't seem like one that's that relevant. So what is it about, you know, about that that's that's bothering you? You know, it, it's exactly what you just said. It's it's not the 36 isn't very relevant, but I'm thinking ahead where I don't want to turn 40 and be, I don't want to say, you know, not accomplished anything, but not accomplishing what a 40-year-old should accomplish. And I think, mm. like, when I turned 30, that was a big kind of kick in the butt for me, where I was making $600 a month when I was 29. Yeah. And that was, like, my life for the, for those couple of years. And that was a big kind of kick in the pants. So now that, you know, the money situation is pretty good, I am still single. I don't have a family and I don't want to turn 40 and regret that. So I think that's why I'm thinking so much ahead. So financially wise, actually, this is something that you guys can kind of follow along and maybe give some comments on what you would do. But basically, living this lifestyle of being location dependent and living in cheap countries, you know, and basically living out of a backpack, being a minimalist, I'm able to save a big portion of my income and invest that. And that's why my investments have grown so much in these last couple of years is because my costs of living are very low. Mm. I have no kids. I have no one to support. I'm not, you know, spending tons of money on rent or a car or family and things like that. If I move back to the US, that's that's gonna be gone. I'll still obviously want to save money and I'll figure out ways to either make more money to save some, but there's no possible way I'm gonna be able to save fifty to seventy five percent of my income if I'm living in the US. Yeah, it's the same thing that I'm doing essentially now by choosing places like Thailand to live because I'm focusing a on investing what I have to to make returns, but I'm also you know working 12 hours a day on a startup, and I'm not making any money from that startup. Rather, I'm putting I'm dumping money into it like it's a boat, and so it it hurts not you know I've almost put two and a half years into this, and I keep putting more money into it but not getting any money out of it. So after a while, that starts really hurting, right? Uh, but it makes me feel better that I'm also not spending, you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a month. I'm spending in places like when we walked across Ireland, I spent, I think, under four thousand a month. And when I'm in Thailand, or Thailand, as long as I'm I'm not uh, jet setting, I spend usually around four or five. And I think also that is a, a very good point to make. I got advice when I was really young. Uh, not really young, but uh, say 22, that has always stuck with me. And I was on a plane with a guy that became my mentor. And he's like, look, if you ever want to get wealthy, you have to make money in capital gains. You cannot make a million dollars a year and live in the US and expect to get wealthy. And he used the example of this guy who's affiliate marketer, he's making a million dollars a year. He was living in New York and he had three kids and a family. He's like, how much money do you think he saves a year? He's making a million a year. You think that's cool? How much do you think he's saving? Okay, you're paying... 50% in tax. So that's 500K. You're living in New York. So let's just say minimally with a family of three, you're spending 250K a year, right? And you're, and you're making a million dollars a year, which means you're making over a hundred thousand a month. So if you're making a hundred thousand a month, do you think you're just like, you know, 
eaten microwavable food. No, you want you're trying to live the lifestyle of a millionaire and, and be rewarded for your hard work. But the point is, at the end of the day, there's nothing left. But if you make your money in in bulk, in chunks, in capital gains, of course, you get the massive tax benefit. But also, if if you're building a business like I hopefully am now, and you're not, you don't have that monthly income, you squeeze and you you you, you reduce your expenses maximum. And then if you make a chunk uh, or a big windfall in the future, you have a lot of that coming to you at a, at a tax reduced rate, and you haven't been spending that much money over the last couple of years. I like it. So shout out to coworker.com. <laughs> if you guys haven't checked it out, that's Sam's startup. Uh, it's actually pretty cool to be honest. If you, wherever you guys are in the world, if, if you guys haven't been to a coworking space and you haven't even thought about working remotely, I love it. I, I, I would never go back to a traditional office again. So check it out. Just, just work out of one for a day and get a free guest pass and see if you like it. Yeah, it's cool. But that's also led to all of my stress, right? That's, I mean, this last quarter has been insane, Johnny. I was like, I was thinking to myself yesterday, I'm like, when did, did, how did time pass so fast that all of a sudden I look at my phone for six hours a day now? Like, when did that happen? And I, you know, Slack, Skype, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, six different email queues. It's like, what's going to happen to human beings in the future? It's just too much influx of content, contacts, messaging, nonstop, right? When we were growing up, it was maybe if one phone call at night, there was no emails. It was one phone call at night, you went over to your neighborhoods and, and hung out with your friends. But there was there were so many barriers in between communication. So there's obviously great things about it. But man, it's it's heavy. So here's a question for you, Sam. Why are you chasing that next big windfall when you could, you know, just retire now or you could have retired, you know, five years ago and maybe you, is it, so, so from what I've heard, you know, the difference between having, you know, five, 10, $20 million and having a hundred million dollars is you can own the yacht or own the jet instead of uh, chartering it. So, you know, I'm just assuming right now that at this point, you know, you can live a normal life well, you know, with your with your savings and your investment mm-hmm. income. And if you wanted to, you can, you know, charter a yacht for a day or you can, you know, you can charter a, a private jet for a day. But you're not at a point where you can just drop a ton of money buying a yacht or buying, you know, a jet. Is that what you're chasing or like what exactly is it? Well, I think the, the, it comes mostly down to competition and trying to stay relevant. And you get to a point now, I think, through, throughout my life, I've gone through periods of expansion and contraction or consolidation and do that with, with business, individual businesses, but also with my life. And I, most of the things that I'm involved in now are a result of a massive expansion that I did two or about two, two and a half years ago, both in investing and new business building, starting to put together concepts with you for this podcast because I wasn't doing anything. And it was a, we talked about this on the last episode. It was an extremely shallow point in my life where I was just floating around. Every, all my friends were working and I, I had nothing to do. And I, I, you know, looking back, I definitely overcommitted to doing too many things. And, and my life right now, my lifestyle and all my obligations are a result of that. So I think if I could redo things, I probably would have not done so many such an expansion, but it's extremely fun. I love the thrill of of competing and trying to figure things out and problem solving and building things of value. So that's fun and and collaborating with smart people. You know, I'm able to collaborate with you and smart people on this podcast and in startup world, 
it's a million miles an hour or, or you lose. And being able to collaborate with people every single day and think in terms of uh, hourly priorities and not daily or weekly priorities, but hourly priorities and figure things out as you go is, is extremely exciting to me. I can see that. I can, I can definitely see that being an intangible and, and a reason why people wouldn't want to just sit around and sit on retirement income, especially after a few years. Um, but do you think it's time for us to jump into our actual <laughs> investment income? Yeah. So I'm excited to hear about your, you know, your position with all of your investments. And I know you, I think you recently launched Income Boss, correct? Yeah. So that's my new course. You can check it out, incomeboss.com. But basically, after I sold all my businesses, I was just kind of coasting off of passive income for a while. And I realized that most of it was coming from my blog. So I decided, I was like, you know what, do I want to start another e-commerce store, which I really liked doing when I first started. But the idea of running another business to me right now is it's just, it's just work. You know, It's just mm-hmm. like having another job. So I decided, you know what, why not just make a course and just show people how I built my blog to, to make all that passive income that I make now. And that's kind of been my big uh, project these last couple of months. And I'm, I'm happy to say that it's another big source of income now. That's great. So did you just figure that out when you just started doing your spreadsheets for this episode? Um, no, no. It's kind of been in the back of my mind for a few years now. I think this is actually version two of the course that I've, I don't think I've ever mentioned version one of the course to on this podcast or even maybe even on my own podcast. Mm-hmm. But it was called Earnest Affiliate. And the reason why I never talked about it is, first off, nobody can spell the name. So I, yeah. I, from day <laughs> one, I was thinking, you know, I got to I gotta think of another name before I start marketing this. And second, I wasn't super proud of the way the course was made because mm-hmm. it was it was at a point where I, I was personally just starting to see some success. I think I was making like two, you know, let's say $2,000 a month from my blog at the time. So I was pretty successful uh, for myself. But... I didn't really know why and I didn't really know how to teach it that well yet. I was kind of a bit scattered brained. I, I would say that, that was kind of the, the, the big the big part of it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted – I knew from day one that I wanted to refilm the course and make it as good as possible. So I started using myself as a case study, as an experiment to try to grow my own income but also test things to see what would work or not. And over the last two years, I grew my own affiliate income from like two, that two grand a month to – 10 grand a month or sometimes even more. I think my best mm-hmm. month was like 15 or $20,000. Yeah. And with Income Boss, it's completely refilmed. And it's basically me teaching you what actually worked for me those last couple of years. Okay. Tell me how much, before we go into your other investments and more on that, how many hours a day are, are you working right now? How many days a week? So right now I'm in maintenance mode. So the last two months I was working full, full days, you know, 40 hours plus a week which actually worked really well in Ukraine because there's nothing to do there, especially during the day. So I would go to a co-working space where nobody would talk to me because everybody was was speaking Russian. And I would just sit there and just work eight Mm -hmm. hours a day. Now that I'm in maintenance mode, the course is launched, everything's up. It's really just maintenance again. So I'm, my my day's amazing. So I'm I'm in Las Palmas, which is in, in the Canary Islands. And every morning I walk along the beach, literally on the sand, for 15 minutes to my co-working space. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Uh, I make bulletproof coffee. I work here until about three, and actually, so I get in about 10. So my new my new kind of motto is wake up late and leave work early. <laughs> Teach that to your kids. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, which which works during you know maintenance mode. It doesn't work when during growth no. mode when you're trying to build something. But yeah. I literally wake up at let's say 10 o'clock, go for a nice 20 minute walk on the beach. It's, it's the temperature here is good year round. It's literally 24 degrees Celsius year round, which is like a nice 78 and sunny, just perfect. Mm-hmm. Watch the co-working space. I work here until about three, do that same walk back on the beach. And by now it's, you know, afternoon, the sun's out, you know, the beach is full. It's, because it's Europe, it's a topless beach. So I'm mm-hmm. walking, listening to an audiobook. So Johnny's topless. Get, yeah, I'm topless. <laughs> Actually, I am. I, I take off my shirt to get some vitamin D, get a tan. I kick off my shoes. I'm walking barefoot in the sand. And there were topless girls everywhere from, from you know, not only Spain, but from the rest of Europe. And I'm just thinking, like, life is amazing. You know, I drop off my stuff. I go snorkeling because it has a reef right off the beach. And I'm thinking if I lived in Europe, if I was part of the EU, I would live here. There's, there's no reason why I would live in a cold country where I can live here, which is part of the EU, so you don't even need a visa. Yeah. And things are relatively cheap compared to the rest of Europe. And people are nice. And the nature is beautiful. Right. Pretty amazing. Well, it doesn't sound so stressful, Johnny. I was kind of excited to hear about why you're so stressed so we could be in misery and stress, a stress bubble together. But I guess it's just me out here. <laughs> it's just you. I invited you to this island. You, I know. Like you, guys are welcome. you know, this is what but, I realized. Like, I, uh, I was trying to really think deep about why I'm, why I'm stressed. And I've noticed that I stress more in Thailand than any other place. And I can't figure it out. But what I, what I came to the conclusion is, you know, sometimes you really have to like think deep and, and think just past that first layer of, Oh, I'm, I'm so busy. But what I came to the conclusion of last night is that Thailand to me used to be a place of massive tranquility and relaxation and discovery because I, f- I f- really first started coming here right as, as, uh, my last business, Skysig was about to sell. And I knew it was basically going to sell and I was like kind of unwinding. And then I I spent time here afterwards when I had really nothing to do. And I was like, it was like a rebirth, you know, it was just really relaxing. And, and now I'm in this massive grind growth mode, but everyone else around me is not. And it, and what I realized is I have FOMO. I have FOMO of everybody else. I have FOMO of like you doing what you're doing, but I especially have FOMO of everyone here that is working four hours a day in their, you know, pajamas and just live in that really relaxed lifestyle. And it makes me feel bad inside. It makes me feel like I'm, I'm different. And I've, I've created a set of circumstances that are, are not fortunate or of some, some scenario. Right. And what I realize is when I go to places like Hong Kong or Singapore, I immediately feel normal again because I, because everyone seems to be working harder than me. Like if you're not up at, at seven 30 with a cup of coffee, dressed nice and ready to go, you, the world is passing you by in those places. So I've come to, to realize that environmental context is extremely important in, in anything that you're doing. Like I wouldn't want to be in Hong Kong and not doing anything because I probably feel like total, total shit. But being in Thailand and Chiang Mai and being, being the guy that's working 12 hours a day and always has a serious face on, it's, it's not, uh, it's not, per- it's not perfect basically. And I think that's, that's what's caused me a lot of stress. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Cause every time I'm in Chiang Mai, I'm super relaxed, mm-hmm. but I think if I had to grind and everyone else wanted to go out and go to waterfalls yeah. and go hang out, I would be a bit stressed as well. 
So I can definitely see while you're in growth mode, it's good to be around other people who are hustling. Yeah. And you know, I bet you there are some people, you know, in, in Chiang Mai who are also doing that, maybe at the, one of the co-working spaces. But I can I can definitely see that most of the crowd they're very happy making two grand a month. That's a, that that would it's it basically you've made it. <laughs> if yeah. you live in Chiang Mai and you make two grand a month, you've made it. Yeah, man. The demographics and the trends are crazy. There's talking about by 2020, there could be as many as a billion people that have the ability to work remote. You know, not just digital nomads, but people that work for big corporations and now they're able to work remote. So it's this massive wave of people that are showing up here and all types of destinations, even like you're just discovering a place that I never even heard of before. And sounds to be amazing. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I've never heard of the Canary Islands until I came here, but it turns out that it's like the Hawaii of Europe. So every European person knows about it. Yeah. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. All right, man. Let's talk about more money stuff. Money, 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 money. It's all, all about right. that money. The greatest, the greatest scam of like someone was saying that money is the greatest scam of the world or something because it's all, it's all just people's belief. Like we just created the concept of money and it lives on and drives so many of the world's policies and people's ambitions. Well, either way, it's it's good to have it if we're going to be living in this world. I suppose so. Or cryptocurrencies, but I guess that's money now as well. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that in this episode as well because that's the line I've added to my net worth spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And I like adding lines to it because that means that I'm diversifying my investments. And diluting your other ones. Yeah, I guess I can see that. <laughs> All right, cool. So you want me to run through some of mine or you want to go through yeah, yours first? Please go first. Okay, so this was actually leading to some anxiety uh, last night as I was putting this list together, just realizing how many things I, I'm, I have to monitor now. But also it's a great thing because some of these companies are really innovative and the way that they've set things up, it reduces so much of the oversight that's needed, right? A lot of these things are automated. You get statements sent monthly, quarterly. You get nice little picture graphs of how things are performing and all of your tax documentation is fully automated. So lots of cool things going on. Just when you think the quarter is like not been very active, I look back, my quarter was extremely active. Uh, so starting off, my condo in Phuket finished up and it turned out really good. I posted a photo in Boss Lounge. If any of you guys are in Boss Lounge, you can see it. Um, so I went down and checked that out. So that's cool. And now that will be in a rental program starting effectively now where I'll basically rent it out like a two bedroom hotel room for lack of better terms. And hopefully that'll start yielding me some Thai bot. Um, good spending money for around town. And then I went to, I went to Hong Kong to check out my properties, hung out with Kevin Shea. So those, those places are awesome. The, the self storage industry in Hong Kong is going through a lot of turmoil right now. They're redoing all the codes so that all the properties have to be re-outfitted or relocated. So there's a lot of self-storage companies that are either consolidating or even going out of business. And a lot of private equity companies that are coming in and, and trying to basically start the industry from, from uh, scratch. So we might have to sell those units soon, but right now they're like 92% occupied, yielding very well. And it's been a, a tremendous experience in putting it together basically top to bottom. Okay. Uh, let's see. Cryptocurrencies. I think we should put that off maybe and talk about that after because that's, that's a beast. There's a lot of stuff going on there. I know you have some stuff going on there. So I'll put that towards the bottom of the list. I think the, the most impactful thing and the thing that I put the most time into this month in terms of investments 
was actually based off our municipal bond episode with the CF professor Michael Foster. And the reason that I've put so much attention into this stuff is because I've been trying to really focus on generating, growing tax-free income. Municipal bonds are something that they're not very sexy, not very attractive, but we keep hearing people that are of, you know, that are doing well, growing their, their wealth, uh, or already wealthy keep hinting that they're investing in municipal bonds. We heard, uh, MJ DeMarco talk about it. So Michael Foster went down to Bangkok, of course, learned a lot from the episode, but had a chance to sit down with him before and after and learn some really good strategies for buying and trading uh, CEFs and specifically municipal bond CEFs. So I spent a lot of time on that this month getting in about nine positions, municipal bond CEF positions, and I've been very, very happy with them so far. Of course, no more in the time, the years to come, but I'm getting paid out almost, I think most of them pay out monthly and maybe just two of them pay out quarterly, but it's great because it's, it's like a paycheck coming in every single month and it's tax free. And I just love that. Like it simplifies things at the end of the year. There's less reporting, but it's, it's also tax free, right? And I'm not in the US right now. So I hate having to pay tax to the US every year when I literally step foot in there for Christmas and that's it. So that's a good feeling. I like it. So what percentage of your net worth are you, do you think you're going to be putting in muni bonds? There's still a few questions that I have about how these things perform in different types of markets and some of the risk associated with them. But I would like to get up to somewhere around, I think right now I'm about 5% total. That would actually, it's probably a little bit more because I have, I have exposure to those in like Wealthfront and Vanguard as well. So I would probably consider putting close to 10% in. And if I did that, that would, I, that would be enough tax free income to, to live for me to live off of. I was actually thinking if I was in your situation or my situation when I'm, bit older 50 or 60 Mm -hmm. i'm gonna i would put half in something like that i mean and not necessarily just mini bonds i'd have to look into that more but something Mm -hmm. like that where it can just pay me a you know a low risk either tax-free income or something that can just 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 get me by yeah i agree and that's so i i had less than one percent in and now i've gotten it up to about five percent and i'm very happy with that if there's any boss listeners out there that, that see any kinks or flaws in this approach or even doing an approach like Johnny set up to 50% because I've thought about that. I'm like, well, what if I just put it all in? What if I just put it all in and I'm making 5% tax-free? You know, <laughs> but like, that, that's you fine. Know, how funny would that but, be? But there's, there's got to be update, some... <laughs> yeah. Sam has 100% of his money in mini bonds. Says, yeah. All right, Johnny. <laughs> this is what so I, I got. What about you? So I got stressed, had a meltdown, put it all into muni bonds, and now I'm riding high. No, but I mean, it, it, that's a consideration. And it, I would love to know what the downsides of that would be. And what, you know, there's got to be, there's got to be issues with that approach. But yeah. so if any of you guys have any ideas on what the downsides are, what the cons are, please let us know in the boss lounge or in the comment section. So you want me to keep going on my stuff? Or you want to jump in with yeah, some yeah, yours? Shut, okay. Shut all right. I would say I'm, I'm not going to hit on every single investment, but. A couple on the alternative side of things, as with previous updates, I would still say Peer Street is my anchor in the alternative class. Still love everything that they're doing. All of my loans, all my money in there is fully in loans right now. I've just passed 10% return on principal, which I think is fantastic, right? Because that's only been... Well, we started the podcast a little more than a year ago. Was pretty much when I started my Pierce Street account. So let's say it's been 15 months. I've already gotten 10% return on principal. 
Plus, what I really love about it is there's money coming in almost every single week. So it's it's la- very much laddered and coming due, where some of these other alternative asset classes, I'm, I'm, I don't know when I'm getting my principal back. They say maybe three years. They say five years. I don't know. But with Pure Street, it's coming back almost every single week because of the amount of, of loans I have outstanding. So I've been really but, happy but- with that. Is that coming back because people are paying off early or because it's it's that year, that year is finished? It's both now. Yeah, it's both. I don't know what percentage it would be, but I would say the average loan I'm in is probably 12 months. So I think just because I put in a bunch of loans 12 months ago or, or even a little bit before that, I think a lot of them are starting to come due. And then, of course, a lot of them get paid back early. That would be the only downside that I have with it. But because it all comes in and goes out automatically, the money's never really sitting there for more than they have enough inventory now that the money's not sitting there for more than four or five days, right? So I just it goes in one ear and out the other. I don't I'm just it's not a big deal to me. Yeah. So the automatic uh, or automated investing for Pier Street is great. And you can set it to you know you can choose your interest rate, your LTV value, and also your uh, month terms as well as how much you want to put in per loan. Mm-hmm. I've actually been a bit more conservative with Pier Street this last quarter just because I, I'm, you know, this is all guessing because you know nobody really knows. But <laughs> I don't want to have so much money in the the real estate market just in case there's another, you know, another big downturn. Mm-hmm. So I've made my automated investing very, very conservative. Where I've chosen sixty five percent LTV, which means people have to have basically thirty five percent equity in the, you know, in the deal. So if it defaults. At least there's a 35 percent buffer, and also my loan terms are for just 12 months uh, or less, which means I can get in and out within a year. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, because I also had my interest rate at eight percent plus, it wasn't you know most things weren't getting funded, so I had a bunch of money just sitting in in the account. So what I've just done is I've lowered that interest rate now to seven percent, and what I'll do is I'll take a screenshot right now of my my setup, uh, and you guys can take a look at it in the show notes of this episode uh, or in the boss lounge and you guys can kind of uh, adjust it, you know, accordingly to, to your own risk. But I like Pier Street a lot. Actually, I probably have uh, the most amount of money in Pier Street as an investment after Vanguard. So it's my second largest investment. And so far it's paid me close to $4,000 in interest, which is amazing because that money, you know, is you know, cash money that I'm actually able to spend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the, on the flip side of that, there's lending club, which I'm, I'm actually negative returns this year on lending wow. club. It's just past negative. And I'm not like, I wrote them a couple of times. I'm like, and they just keep trying to write back. Like the numbers are you know, they're just trying to make a play on numbers somehow, but we don't need to even talk about lending club because that's, we've talked about it enough on previous episodes, but yeah, it's gone negative and all of just, just worth echoing that all of the loans I put out were like A and B grade. I think I only had a, a small portion in C grade loans. Well, have you seen that Lending Club is changing their entire business model? No. They, they sent out a survey to all the, all the users and I was happy to fill it out because, you know, I mean, I, I, I complain about Lending Club, uh, but, you know, I want to support any company that can, that is trying to to do better, right? So I'm I'm gonna at least give them my two cents, L- like not any more money. I'm not gonna give them two more cents, but I'll give them my two cents. <laughs> <laughs> so and yeah, what are they doing? So basically, they are thinking of adjusting instead of having um kind of like you know 
the, the traditional peer-to-peer lending that's unsecured, they are thinking about creating some kind of um, almost like a guaranteed savings account where you can get like X amount of interest, let's say 4% interest, mm-hmm. and it's secured. Uh, I forgot what it's, what, it's, what it's backed on, but they asked a bunch of questions. They're like, okay, let's say we gave you 2% interest and it was guaranteed, would you take it? You know, let's say we gave you 3% interest and it was guaranteed, would you take it? And you know, basically that, that survey was a bunch of questions like that. Where they're trying to figure out what is the least amount of interest they can pay you and what term, you know, what's most important to you. And yeah. I think my answer was something like, if you can give me 4% interest and it's guaranteed and my money is liquid – I would keep my money with Lending Club. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, I think that Lending Club probably used to be a good company. The the, the issue that I have with them, and I can't prove it, but I'm just going to speculate that after they went public, they have a ton of shareholders to listen to. They have a lot of demands and, and growth expectations. I think they just either purposely or just loosely started grading loans as much more quality than they actually were. So that's that's my issue with them is that I I put in all of my loans as a basket of A, B, and C, mostly A and B. And the fact that my returns this year have been negative and I'm only this is only year two. I mean if if this many are in default now, how many are going to be in default next year? Right? Because it's all tied up for three years. So I don't think those loans were actually vetted well. I don't think that those were A, B and, and C grade loans. Because historic, you know, historical averages would say that my account should be not, should be performing much, much better, not, not anywhere near the level it's performing now. So that's my issue with them is I think that they, they some either purposely or somehow change that their vetting policy to get more volume in because they're trying to, you know, they're trying to hit the, the demands and expectations of the public markets. So. I'm curious if what happened is people figured out that if they default on a lending club loan, that nothing really bad happens. Right. They can get another and loan. <laughs> That's they, yeah. they found out lending club was doing that, right? I think there was a big lawsuit because they were giving loans to people who had previously defaulted. How screwed up is that? Yeah. So – Maybe that that's what's happening. I think what lending clubs should do is they should start cracking down hard on people who are defaulting and just making examples of them. Mm. And that way, you know, everybody knows, hey, don't default on your lending club loan or you're going to get sued or you're going to get your property repossessed or, you know, something yeah. bad's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I think there's always going to be a market for this, this unsecured loans, but it's not for me. No, no chance I would ever do this again that I can see after having good experiences with and, and and good returns, good returns, secured loans through p- people like Pier Street and some of the other ones that are coming up. There's no way I would go into this environment again. Would you, Johnny? Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. And and I'm glad that this was a really small experiment. You know, I mean, this was in total was five thousand dollars, which nowadays is you know a very small part, you know, portion of my net worth, mm-hmm. but. When I started, it was a big part. It was like you know twenty percent of my net worth, so it was a big deal. But I'm glad that I did it because it was a learning experience. I'm letting my lending club ride out. I'm not reinvesting the cash. So I think this is what most people are doing. So I kind of almost see lending club as kind of like a slowly dying, dying company unless they make that big change. Yeah, but I did make five grand off them by trading their stock. Bought it at three, sold it at six. So 
Ching, ching. <laughs> I'm still up. There you go. <laughs> All right. So a couple others worth mentioning. Yield Street. I think – did you get in Yield Street, Johnny? Yes, I did, buddy. Okay. So congratulations because it's absolutely ridiculously hard. And I I've, I got in, in a real estate deal and then I've totally given up since because the deals are selling out in like now under 60 seconds. So by the time you get an alert and you refresh your screen, it's already over. So I, I've tried to get in like seven or eight and haven't had the chance. So I just – I gave up. But – they seem to be doing a pretty good job. Yeah, and, and I was really annoyed. I actually remember like publicly scolding them on, on Twitter, and they did something really smart. They they made the next deal, and I don't know if they're still doing this or not, but they made it only open to first-time investors with them. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you had gone in on a real estate deal, so then you, you were technically not a first-time investor with them anymore. But that's the only reason why I was able to get in on – their like legal packages or whatever it's called. Yeah. Yeah. So has, have you been, have you taken a look at like the user interface and your earnings from that so far? Yeah. So if you guys haven't heard of Yield Street, you can listen to Invest Like a Boss episode 59, where we had the CEO on the podcast to kind of explain how it all works. But their actual uh, interface, the dashboard isn't very beautiful. Um, it's actually a little bit you know, confusing to, to use, but I don't really care because all I know is every week or two, I get money in my bank account from <laughs> the like interest from the diversified pre-settlement portfolio. And what that is, is basically we, we paid money. I put in 20, yeah, I put in 20 grand and a bunch of other people put in, you know, 20 grand as well. So I think in total it was worth, you know, a couple million dollars. But mm-hmm. we basically paid out a bunch of people who had either like injuries from, you know, auto accidents or other things where they need money now to either pay for medical bills or because they can't work. And as they collect the lawsuit money, which might take a year or two, they pay us back with interest. Oh, so you're such a really, philanthropist, Johnny. You know what? It has <laughs> nothing to do with the 13.84% interest I'm collecting right now. Boom. Boom. That's, I mean, that's that's it doesn't seem real, right? That's pretty insane interest. It seems to be your downside seems to be pretty well protected. Yeah, so I, I looked at the kind of pros and cons of it. So the, the downsides is, you know, some of the lawsuits might fall through. Some, you know, uh, some cases might not settle, and they might go into court and get dragged out. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a bunch of downsides, but I think the the reason why I feel pretty comfortable with it, and I think that that 13% is pretty accurate, is it's spread out over like I don't know. I, I think over a hundred uh, different, you know, different uh, settlements. The, and, yeah, settlements. That's right. And they've been doing this for a while, you know, and it's it's kind of like they've they've been conservative, thinking, okay, what like what are the chances of, of things actually just getting settled out of yeah. court, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've been pretty happy with them so far. One thing I like is it, it calculates your earnings daily. So if you log in each day, you're going to see more earnings. So I put in, I think I put, in, uh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. I put in fifty grand, and I've made it's calculated nine point three two percent. Consistent with payments, the user interface is, is quite easy, quite simple. Uh, the only knock I've had was like I felt like I was being, I was just wasting time trying to get in the deals because I thought I thought it was just like these insiders that continue just to invest and, and lock everyone else out. So I think it was a good move what they did with the deal that you got in Johnny, and I would I would hope that they would continue doing stuff like that because I think it would be 
while it's great that it, it shows their brand is, is growing strong and their platform is going strong because the demand is so high, I think a lot of people are going to lose interest when they try to get in two or three deals and, and they just continually can't. Yeah, I agree. I, I honestly, I almost gave up on your street because I was trying to get in on these deals, for, you know, so many times and it was just frustrating and yeah. I started losing faith for them. Not because I didn't think the deal, you know, was good. It was just, I was annoyed at them not letting new people in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of cool in the beginning where it leads to a little bit of hype, but then you need yeah. to be able to actually satisfy their customers. And, and so yeah. it's kind of like what Nintendo has been doing with their NES Classic or their new NES Classic where they had all this hype. But then they never actually fulfilled the orders, you know, for 99% of people. And now I, I can't stand Nintendo. Like, it, like they just pissed me off now. So I'm like, you know, <laughs> it just I finally had it with Nintendo. I'm, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what else right, do you got man. besides Yield Street? Okay. So I got two, two pretty exciting ones. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching what's been going on with Black Hops, uh, the brewery in Australia I invested in, run by Dan Norris and his, his, two mates. So I invested in this company on two stages, basically like paper concept. And then they were running short on money about a year and a half ago. And I invested more in there. They've since turned the ship around from a very difficult position where they had very low revenue, high cost. They didn't have enough uh, production equipment, got it all set up and much more scalable, decided to raise around again, uh, just going back about six months ago. And what they did uh, I thought it was really smart. They're doing a really good job in social media and, and their point of sale to, to promotions and everything they're doing at the seller door. So they, they've created a Facebook group for their ambassadors, which is quite popular. And, uh, they put out kind of a, an investment deck to their, to all their ambassadors and to their, their network of people that are just their customers, almost like a crowdfunding campaign, basically, except the minimum investment was like 50 grand or something. They sent out an email within 24 hours that 191 people fill out an application to invest. And they basically pick, uh, five of the, five or six of their favorite ones. And they very quickly, like overnight raised a $400,000, uh, round. And it's, it's going really, really well at this point. They've scaled up really nicely. They're taking out, they're, uh, doubling their facilities and increasing their production capacity four times have started doing distribution all over Australia and the brand looks amazing. So that's been going really well. And I'm, man, I, I got to get down there and get some free beer. Nothing yeah, else. I think that'd be fun. Have you seen, like, have you seen the brand and what they're doing? I think it's like, I think it's one of the best looking, be- I'm, I'm probably a little biased, <laughs> but the, the look that they're doing in store with the branding, they're make they're, they've taken back on this, this quite masculine, uh, approach because the black ops brand used to be done more like a, a special ops like military type of brand and then they, they toned it down to be a little bit more unisex but now with the, the in-store point of sale displays they're doing it like army cargo boxes it looks like you know boxes that would be holding ammunition and stuff and it's just got their beer like there on ice it looks really really badass i, like I, I think that's a really cool concept i don't yeah. know if i want to fly all the way out to australia but you, you can bring some back to check my <laughs> okay buddy <laughs> Um, let's see. The last one that I'll, I'll mention is, is actually coworker. So in the, in our, our turn of the year episode that we did together, I said there was three things on my list for this year, trying to tone down the year instead of doing so many, so much bucket listing. The three goals that I had for the year were one to, to learn how to ski black diamonds really well. Um, so went out to Tahoe, did that for five weeks and, and was cranking some black diamonds, had a blast. 
The second one was to walk across Ireland to raise money for the charity, which we did. Those were my two favorite experiences of this year, man. And I think a big part of it was, of course, company, like being with some great people, but also just being in nature. I think it does really wonderful things for mind, body, and soul. And then the third thing was I wanted to achieve a, a certain valuation for coworker. And I'm very happy to say that as of tonight, I believe we've closed a, a next fundraising round for it, which is actually right on spot with the valuation that I was hoping to achieve for the company by the end of this year. So that, um, you know, ensures us, of course, future financing for the foreseeable future and also locks in uh, a valuation that I think kind of rewards our hard work and, and everything that we put into it to date. Nice. Congratulations, buddy. Is, yeah. is that are the numbers publicly available or not? Uh, not publicly available. Probably after we close the round, but not right, not today. Can I stalk you on like like Angel? Uh, was it Angel's List or one of those sites where they disclose everything? I won't be disclosing. I, I don't honestly don't even think we're gonna make an announcement about it. I don't want to signal like eh, I don't know. We'll see. We're still still strategizing around it. Um, okay. But you remember not too long ago when we were in Spain together, and I hadn't slept for like seven nights. I was going through. This I remember that crazy. The craziest insomnia I've ever had, and I was freaking out about everything with business and and uh, a lot of other things. I mean, that was a that was a pretty bad spot mentally that Johnny was there to shoulder me through. Um, <laughs> but you know, you wave you wave the storm and you press on, and good things happen a lot of times. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that's working out now. So another multi million dollar business, Sam Marks, is brewing up. No, I like you it. You never know till the money's in the bank, buddy. That's true. A lot, a lot of companies have been worth $100 million and zero, uh, and they weren't able to get out at the right time. So never know until the money's in the bank. All right. Well, speaking of money in the bank, I finally filled out my net worth spreadsheet, and I was convinced that my net worth was dropping. And mm-hmm. I think it's because I had, you know, for the last couple of months, especially right before Income Boss launched, I was just, you know, building. And there was, you know, just some passive income coming in. There wasn't any kind of new income coming in. And, and then I had, you know, taxes to pay. And it was just, I was thinking, you know, by definitely my net worth is, is, has dropped. And literally minutes before this call, I filled out my net worth spreadsheet and I took a look and I'm glad to report I am up. Wow. I'm, yeah. And I have no idea how that happened. I think it was just from living cheaply in Ukraine while, you know, my my actual monthly income through passive income and through investments and things like that have outweighed what I'm spending. Mm-hmm. And now with the with another new income stream, I'm confident that's going to keep going up. So I'm very happy. So the last time we spoke, July 2017, my total net worth was $518,000. Now it is at 542000 Wow. Congratulations, Ooh. man. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, that's slowly, kind of, slowly, you know, creeping up there. Yeah, because I mean, from a, from afar, I always feel like that you're just going into maintenance mode and like kind of draining it down for a couple of years. But it's good to see that you're able to maintain. Listen, I look at your lifestyle, and it's it's one of the things that actually stresses me out because I'm like, well, <laughs> look at what Johnny's doing, and you know, he's happy and he's going snorkeling at three in the afternoon. And I'm sitting here like I I don't feel like I feel like I'm in prison sometimes, and. uh it's good to see that you're able to to grow that wealth while living this, you know, you probably what would you say you're working now like 4 hours or less a day? Yeah, about about 4 hours a day. Cool. Yeah. And a lot of it is honestly just like 
you know, maintaining things, just answering emails and comments and, yeah. you know, not doing, not doing too not much actual heavy. work, but kind of just, um, you know, checking Facebook messages, things like that. Well, it was also a good year in the markets too. So if the markets take a downturn, yeah. you, you could be under the, the five mark pretty quick. Oh, <laughs> knock on wood, buddy. Knock on wood. Well, what's funny is, so in my accounts, I have, so I have Shab, Chase, B of A, and then Bangkok Bank. Mm-hmm. I actually have no idea how much I have in my Bangkok Bank. It's only, you know, it's probably only like a thousand five hundred bucks. And that's really just spending money when I'm in Thailand. But for my shop, what's I just realized I need to separate these two two out because even though I haven't been putting money into my shop account, which is my you know fee free ATM card that I use kind of throughout the world, mm-hmm. that number keeps going up because Facebook keeps going up, and I have it all mixed in together. So oh. I have a bunch of Facebook stock that I bought at. $58 and now it's worth like 170 or something. Mm-hmm. But I also use that same account to withdraw money from my ATM. So it's basically Facebook stock has been paying for my ATM use, like my, <laughs> my travels, which is amazing. Thanks Zuckerberg. Appreciate it. Yeah. appreciate that buddy. And, and, and I think the reason why my, I keep thinking I'm getting, I'm getting poor is my personal chase account keeps getting lower you know, it went from $93,000 in March to the 40000 now, and I keep seeing a drop. And I keep forgetting it's because I keep buying other investments. So, you know, I, bought, I put 20000 in uh, Yield Street. I put, oh, you know what? Oh. I just realized. Oh, you might have just found another nugget, huh? Oh, Yield Street isn't on here, buddy. Yield Street is not on oh, here. Oh, wow. I Dude, I wish I was with you. You could just... buy me beers for reminding you. Oh, you know what? I, let's just put twenty grand there. Woo! How's that feel? I like it. Hmm? I like How's it. How's that feel? See what happens when you hang out with me? Good things happen. You get rich. You find 20 yeah. grand. Yeah. Just randomly found it. Okay. Now I got to adjust my spreadsheet to add in. Oh, you know what? I didn't add in my, my Coinbase either. My formula is not working right. Dude, this is bullshit. You're getting rich over this podcast. and Oh. Now I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting FOMO again. And $63,683 net worth now. Cha-ching. Nice. Well, so you know what you know what though, Johnny, you actually made what? me a bunch of money this year. Did I? Yeah, How did I do that? Because you were with Chris and you told yes. Chris that I owned a bunch of, of Bitcoin. And Chris wrote me like two days before the fork and was like, Hey, if you have Bitcoin, you need to get make sure you have your private keys because it's gonna fork and they're gonna give out free Bitcoin cash. And then Chris worked with me for about you know, almost like two days, really, going back and forth. <laughs> I got my private keys. So now I own 23 Bitcoin cash coins, which is worth like, what, like 13 grand or so, 14 grand? Yeah. 12, 12 nice. to 14 grand. Yeah. And that's, that's entirely because of, basically because of you. So thank you. I never oh, would have had it. I would have lost that, right? Or never, that's nice. I never got well, it. So. Thank Chris for that too, then. Yeah. No, I have. I promised him, uh, I promised him I'll, I'll spend 5% of whatever I get next time I see him on like us. So right now I got to spend like a grand on doing something with him. Nice, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> All works. Well, out. let's hopefully th- that'll grow before uh, you see him. And yeah, he, you can take him out on a helicopter. Yeah, no, but you know, on like on your that. point about feeling broke, I think what a lot of that is also is it's the paying taxes, and one of the most difficult transitions when you go from collecting a paycheck, which I, I don't even remember what it's called now. Is it W two? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so going for- or was it a W two or W nine? Maybe it's a W nine. Whichever one is like being a uh, an employee where you're getting money taken Sleep. out monthly, right? And then when you go to a ten ninety nine or you're self employed, you're paying at the end of the year. And every single year, I've done that since that 
has been the way I've been set up. Every year, I feel like I'm losing money because you have to pay all your taxes as a big chunk at the end of the year. And by that time, you've already spent a lot of the money that you've made that year. So it's like this big chunk that's leaving. You're like, oh, I, how, how is that possible? I didn't make that much money this year. It, I think it's the same feeling for everybody that does that. Yeah. But the nicest thing I think about being friends with you and having us both be so transparent about how much you know our, our lives, how much stress we have, how much money we're making is the fact that I can I see you people, you know, that have a lot more money than me are not necessarily happier. You know? Are you and, trying to you're trying to say me, Johnny? I'm not happy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't want to say happier, but not like they're not, you know, they're not living these carefree, stress-free lives. Yeah. And you know, like at the end of the day, our lifestyles aren't that different. And I'm, and it's the bad thing about it is it, it actually makes me less motivated to, you know, to go for that next big windfall and to become, you know, a multimillionaire or even become a millionaire because I know already that my life wouldn't change that much once I hit that number. But I, so I guess there's pros and cons to that, right? I mean, the, the biggest downside of that is my lack of motivation to, to work hard. And build another business and you know go through the couple of years of stress. Cause I think what's gonna happen is these next, you know, this next year or two, I'm gonna be, you know, at the beach at 3 p.m. and just enjoying life, thinking, oh, you know, like Sam's slaving away, working on his business. And two years from now, you're gonna get another big windfall from, you know, from coworker.com or one of your other uh, other businesses. And you're gonna be leveling up so high that I can't keep up. And I'm like, oh crap, why did I do that? Why did I waste these last two years? It's there's there's always both sides of it, right? I think I think you hit it on the head. What I what I'll change going forward is I'll I'll stop picking such competitive niches to go into because it's just it's a recipe for stress, excitement, and stress. It's like uh, Brew Johnson, one of the Pure Street guys. He's, he's like, you know, startups they're always exhilarating, go through these massive highs and these massive lows, and that, that's what I've been doing for like twelve years. You know, I was competing in social networking, I was competing in electronic cigarettes i was competing in you know now co-working is, is emerged as one of the, the fastest growing most trendy uh, industries and you'd like to, to think that well you, you time things right you got in before it became that that's what e-cigarettes was and that's all good great but it also becomes these massively complex and stressful pro, uh, projects even if you go out and raise boatloads of money you're never you're never safe or stable you're always trying to outgrow last month and get to some climatic end where you can be absorbed into a stable environment. But that whole race to get there is, is extremely exhilarating, but it's also, it takes a lot out of you. And I think it's good to endure those type of things in your twenties or take some ch- chances in your, in your twenties, early thirties. But after this, I think that'll be it for me in, in terms of the, the heavy, heavy, high stress, fast paced stuff. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So if you guys are still young, go for it. If you don't have, you know, if you're not where you're at, go for it, but then enjoy it once once you get there for a bit. I think all the uh, young I think all the young people out there are going for it right now in cryptocurrencies, Johnny. <laughs> I know. That, and that's, that's you know, startup. I think that's what I want to talk about next. Yeah. Um, so kind of just as as a wrap up to my my accounts, everything's pretty much the same as the last last quarter. We're lucky that we're having a bull market right now. So my my Vanguard, which is my biggest investment, is constantly going up. I'm very happy with that. My Pure Street is good. My Fundrise is paying out, you know, well, I think I have 20 grand in there now because 
they have apartment buildings, which I really like more. I, I like I personally like more than single family homes. And mm-hmm. honestly, I think if Funrise was had as nice of an interface as and kind of u- user experience as as Pure Street, I'd probably have more money in Funrise. And because it's. I actually would rather have apartment buildings than individual houses, but for whatever reason, I keep putting money in Pure Street just because it's easier to use. Mm. So, big tip to, to whoever's listening from Fundrise there. Auto, Auto FX is still my highest performing uh, asset. Mm. I, th- I think currently I have, what is it? Something something insane, 42% uh, <laughs> growth in, in total. Oh, I thought you were going to say 42% of your wealth in there. I'm like, holy shit. No, You're no, really no, turning no. up the. The risk level. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, it's it's been a big, big returns on that. Um, I think, you know, at 30, 13% year to date, which is crazy because it's just October still. Last year was 29%. So last year was, was more of a gain. Uh, but this year, still pretty happy with that. Mm-hmm. And what else do we have? Um, I, I have my 500 bucks in Beat Stars, which hasn't uh, turned anything yet, but that's kind of a fun investment. Yeah. And last but not least is my Coinbase account, which I finally started investing money in. I bought my first investment in cryptocurrency. So I put not that much money. I I have $1,581 total in crypto. And a thousand of that is in Ethereum. Ethereum, sorry. Ether. Uh, Ether. And the reason why I put money in Ether is I feel like at under $300 right now, it has the potential, you know, to also grow because it's kind of the backbone of all these other coins. Uh, this is a complete gamble. I have no idea what's going to happen with it, but I just wanted some money in there. And then my goal is to just, I want to just own a one Bitcoin. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's worth $4,000 or $5,000, whatever it is, I just want to own one coin and just kind of and hold it, you know, hold it for the long term. And unfortunately, with Coinbase, they have these crazy limits where they only let you buy $250 worth at a time until your account is warmed up. So I've basically just been buying $250 worth every single week and and kind of just wrapping my, my way up. Um, but that is my plan. That's my goal is to just to warm up this account. So if I wanted to, I could buy more in the future. But really, I think I'm just going to hold one Bitcoin for the long run and see what happens. Good stuff, man. Do you think from your experience – that Coindesk is a safe place to hold it? And is that where you're so holding it? Coinbase is the PayPal of <laughs> cryptocurrencies, where the customer service is probably the worst in the world. So the, the two companies I hate the most is Bank of America, which literally the day I get back to the US, I'm going to walk in, close my account, and move over to either Chase, you know, which is the the least bad of the big the big banks. Uh, I've actually never had any problems with Chase. I actually I, I actually like Chase. Or I would move it into something else, you know, either Shab or one of these smaller uh, smaller banks. But Bank of America and Wells Fargo are terrible, and so is PayPal. But unfortunately, Coinbase is the biggest, and they are just overwhelmed with you know, support tickets where they don't get back to anybody. And it's one of those things where you can put your money in Coinbase and you can probably spend it and get it out. But if you ever need to contact them for any reason, don't expect a reply. See, where I come from, that type of customer service is just totally unacceptable, but it has to be a business strategy, right? Like it's not that they're just so poorly run 
that they can't hire enough support people to, to respond to tickets. It literally just must be a business strategy. Like there's no, there's, there's so many idiots starting these accounts and, and just skipping over the FAQs. Like if we start threads with them, it's going to take 10, you know, 10 responses to get them around because I, I sent them some tickets as well. I, it's been now 10 days. I haven't gotten a response. On the other hand, I started an account. I, I took your advice, Johnny, and, and started an account with them just to get it warmed up. Uh, and I got, I got my limits up to, I think, 10K now. So it's, I think, like you said, it's a good asset to have. Just the account is a good asset to have and going through the verification process. Uh, I also started an account with Kraken. Have you heard of them? Yeah, I, I had them too as well. Okay, cool. So I saw them recommended by James Alcher. So I, I opened an account with them and their support's been ridiculous, like amazing. I'm talking like 10 minute response times. So wow, nice. they might be trying to do that purposely to, to, to kind of fill this void that Coinbase has left open with their support. Uh, I haven't bought anything through Kraken yet, but I know they offer some of these additional kind of more alternative coins. I might, I might start investing in some of these more of just to be part of the ride. I'm not, if it goes, if Bitcoin goes to zero tomorrow, I wake up the exact same as I woke up today because I'm not expecting anything out of it. If it goes up, it goes up, but I don't even put it on my net wealth calculation or spreadsheet. I'd leave it totally out because I just, I don't believe in it yet. I don't believe that there's real wealth there right now. And I want, I don't want to set myself up to think that that's part of my wealth. And then I wake up one day and they're all stolen again or something like that. That's very, very smart. I, and it, it actually kind of drives me crazy how many people I, I, you know, hear talk about, you know, how much money they have in Bitcoin and they consider that their net worth. And it's one of those things where it's kind of like on my, you know, like my monthly income reports are right on my blog. I don't include my paper gains for, uh, for the stock market. So for index funds, because that's not really my money yet. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'll calculate it that, you know, on my quarterly updates, just kind of see where I'm at to see if it's going up or down. But I don't, you know, uh, at the end of the month, I'm like, I'm not like, okay, you know, I've made you know $5,000 from VTI going up because until I actually sell it, I didn't make that money yet. And with, with people that own, you know, cryptocurrencies, I think there's a lot of people that have, you know, $40,000 or $100,000 or even a million dollars in crypto because they bought, they happened to buy in, right. uh, when it was really, really low, but until they actually sell it, that's not actual money that they, that's, that's not actually part of their net worth. Here. That's you know, not actually money that they can, they can use. And you know what, for some of these coins, these alternative coins, even trying to convert it into Bitcoin or trying to sell it, it's going to be hard. It's, it's it, they're not as liquid as people think. Right. I think that a lot of the, the Bitcoin millionaires have already been made and it's, at least in terms of Bitcoin itself, I think the amount of new millionaires that it will make is actually quite low. Because if you think about it, most of the millionaires that's made were people that they bought when it was like under $100 or even like under $10, right? They got in super early. They got a bunch of coins and now they're worth a lot. They're worth millions. But let's say now if you want to buy 20 coins, that's a hundred grand. So there's not a lot of people that are going to put a hundred grand into it and then to become a millionaire, that has to go 10 times. So Bitcoin has to go to 50,000 and you have to be able to put up 100,000 now. So I don't think that you, if all these people that think they're going to get super rich off, and then also you have to have the endurance to, to ride it all the way up, right? Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't sell and when it's two times. So I think a lot of people who think they're going to become a millionaire off the coins, the ship is, the ship is kind of sailed for Bitcoin. 
and the only chance is you got to go for some of these more, much, much more speculative coins in the ICUs where a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money. Oh yeah, definitely. It's I like me and Chris actually joke about all the different ICOs that we see on pop up on my Facebook ad, mm. um, my Facebook every day. There's one, I think it's called La Coin or La Token, <laughs> and the ad was ridiculous. And we watched it, and the ad was basically, you know, super hypey with lots of uh, dramatic, you know, music, and it's basically saying, like puppies, eco friendly, you know, salvation. Uh, happiness, um, you know, like, you know, all the, you know, all these good things. And it says, you know, this is the coin of the, you know, the future. And then, yeah, then they actually explain what the coin does. And it's basically a way where you, it's almost like an online pawn shop. And I'm like, this is freaking ridiculous. And there are so many coins that look war- like worse. You know, there's coins that like don't even explain like what they do. People are just buying it just in case it happens to be the next one. Yeah. And I will guarantee that the vast majority of people, I would even say over 90, maybe even 99% of people who invest in ICOs are just going to lose all their money. But people are gambling in it because they hope that one, you know, is going to hit and become the next Bitcoin or the next Ether. And that's not a, a game that, that I'm going to play. No, agree. I'm sticking to a couple, f- uh, a few of the, the top coins and I'm doing it just for fun. And all the listeners out there, I would just say caution and do it without much expectation. Do it to be part of the ride, but don't bet the house on it and take the extra time to try to figure out ways that you're comfortable to hold this stuff securely because security is still a very big issue and there's still tons of coins being lost or stolen every single day. So take caution. Yeah, definitely. But at the same time, I don't want to look back on this five or 10 years from now and being one of those people who are like, oh, the internet's a fad. It's not going to come, you know. It's <laughs> what's, what's, what's internet? <laughs> yeah. So I would say as as somebody who is going to be trying to, you know, be a bit rational about this, I would say I don't want to miss out completely on crypto because I think some type of cryptocurrency is definitely the future. I also think it's a huge gamble. So gamble what you are willing to lose and not anymore so whether that's one percent five percent or maybe even for the super ultra risky ten percent to try to hit that for that home run go ahead and gamble with it don't don't not do it just because there's risk because there is also risk you know when you when you first bought uh, any kind of ipo for for facebook or for any of these other companies i think what i'm going to do to be honest because I believe crypto really is the future. I might even put up to 1% of my net worth in there, mm. which I haven't calculated, but is that, what, what is that? Is that 50 five. or five? five. That's, that's, should I say 50 and then you actually do 50 and then find out it's 10% of your net wealth? <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. So five grand. I, I think for me, and you know, that's that's exactly where that's I was one thinking Bitcoin, anyways, yeah. just buy, buy one coin. Yeah. So I would say there is very little reason for me people in my situation not to put five grand in. So if you have, you know, five grand that you can gamble with and you know maybe never see again, go ahead and do it and maybe it might pay off. But either way, you know, it's 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 super speculative right now. Yeah. So, so I have no idea what's gonna happen. And we got some really good threads going on in the boss lounge. So if you guys wanna engage and interact in this stuff more, I know Johnny and I learned a lot just through the threads that we got going on in the boss lounge. And also we just saw that in the, in one of those threads, the IMF 
is now talking about an IMF coin, and a bunch of countries are talking about releasing their own coins. So what happens when that happens? You know, what if the IMF gets involved? Then then what happens? Then are we talking then all these things that like are in the creature of Jekyll Island, then that that becomes starts to look real. And what happens to you know to all these other coins when that I don't I don't see that's what I don't know how it plays out with when government gets involved or the United Nations or the IMF get involved with coins and they start seeing the flight of fiat currency into cryptocurrency. What happens then? Because cryptocurrency is at like two hundred billion right now. It could be at a trillion by the end of this year. Who knows? Trillion dollars. A lot of that money is coming from fiat currency. So in that sense, fiat currency is depreciating every single day to cryptocurrencies. Every day, the dollar is appreciating a little bit to Bitcoin. So I don't know what, how it all plays out. Yep. I shared some notes so, in, in, the, in the lounge, though. Let's talk about it more in the Boss Lounge. If you guys haven't joined yet, just go to investlikeaboss.com, click on bonus, and you can get an invite there. Where you can talk to us and also the other invest like a boss listeners and the last question i want to ask you sam before we get going and wrap up is what books have you read this last quarter and what are you reading now Mm, good question um i didn't read as much this this month or this i'm sorry this quarter which i was actually really sad about when i sat down to think about it because i just i love reading i love being a student but obviously we learn a lot on this podcast so there's a lot of reading and, and preparation and also recapping there but I did get through a couple books that started actually on the walk with you. Uh, one is a, a, a absolute classic, which is Man's Search for Meaning. Have you read that, Johnny? No, I haven't. Well, it's basically it's it's the diary sort of a, and the story of a guy that was in a concentration camp, and he was telling, and he ended up surviving, but so many people didn't, and it's and it was kind of his study on why he thinks he survived and how that relates to Man's Search for Meaning and what's important in life. So. I won't spoil the story, but it's a, it's a good one. Um, and I got through two other books. One was Happy City, which is a great book. It talks about happiness. It talks about why certain cities are happy. And it talks about the future design of cities to how to how cities can capture more happiness. And Johnny, what do you think the happiest city in the world is in terms of design and, and whatever they can measure? I think they said it's Copenhagen, but I, I don't really believe that. I think Copenhagen was up there, but... This book and this study said Vancouver, and I can definitely believe that. Yeah, I, I could see that. Except for my my question is, if you are spending four grand a month on your rent, how happy can you be? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, good, good so Vancouver question. is amazing. If you guys haven't been there, it's a beautiful city. Everyone's nice, and you have nature everywhere. You have you know the the beach right there, and you have hiking trails. You have you know it's it's just a great place. It's just so freaking expensive that. I don't. I personally would not want to to live there, you know, and have a monthly expenditure that's you know four times or mm. uh, or more than what I'm spending in a place that's also very nice. Like for example, you know, the Canary Islands, where the weather is even better. I have you know just as much nature. People are also friendly, and the only downside to being here is everyone speaks Spanish. So that's what I've been learning, and a lot of the books that I've been reading is. We're listening to is just trying to figure out how to, to speak the language. I'm sure I'm sure you don't mind when the topless girls on the beach speak Spanish to you. Yeah, well, I, honestly, it's actually a bit frustrating because I like sometimes I'll have super cute girls talk like talking to me and I have no idea what they're saying or like how to communicate. And I'm like, um, you know, 
habla inglés and they're like no lo siento and i'm like just oh, smile crap. just smile and bring him a beer johnny that's oh. all you gotta do keep yep. it take it easy on yourself well that was a problem in in ukraine as well is you know you'd meet supermodels everywhere and they would be speaking russian and, you, and yeah. you, you're trying to use google translate and you just at the end of the day you're just like what am i doing like too I'd, tall I'd rather, and intimidating yeah i'd rather be back in um you know something in the english-speaking country yeah. but uh as far as books honestly I'm, i've been embarrassed to say these last probably this probably the last year i've hardly read any books i think the last book i actually sat down to read was tony robbins money master the game <laughs> well when you which, say read are you also including listen to on audio well here's the thing is i just i just wasn't doing it i was you know you know i listen to podcasts which you know, as you guys know, you know, are great and you learn a lot from it. But there's something about a book that is better for, you know, diving mm. deep into a topic. Yeah. You know, I think the reason why people listen to podcasts is you can learn while, you know, having a lighthearted conversation. So it's kind of like a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of fun, like an interesting conversation with friends. But also you can learn a little bit while a book mm-hmm. is you're just learning, which at the end yeah. of the day is better if you want to dive in deep for a topic. And I was reading, you know, I was reading actual books. I would be laying um, on, my, on the rooftop of the Siri in, um, in Chiang Mai with my Kindle. My Kindle broke and I was too lazy to, you know, I was like, I'm not reading anyways. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, I, I, I kid you not, a month ago, I signed up for Audible and I started just, you know, getting one new um, audiobook a month mm-hmm. and I've been devouring them. Like yeah. I, I've... I the this kind of trick is to listen to them at 1.25 speed. Yep, there you go, buddy. <laughs> I wish they had if Audible. If you guys are listening, please introduce a 1.1 or 1.15 speed because sometimes I don't want it sped, sped up that much. I just want that extra 10% boost. Yeah. So Audible, who is now a sponsor, uh, I'm very happy to have them because I am a huge fan of them. Uh, so the books that I've read, the first one I picked is something that I assumed I had read or, you know, I've definitely heard about is How to Win Friends and Influence People. Have you read that? Dude, that's probably the second book I ever read and I try to read it every – I try to – yeah, no, serious. And I was – I remember being scared to buy it because I was embarrassed because I heard it was recommended and I didn't want to go buy it because I thought it – like because of the title, I didn't want people to see me buying it, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But it's a, it's a, a – one of the world's most popular books and it's incredible. And for a good reason. And honestly, I was the same way where I felt bad. I'm like, I don't want to learn, you know, tactics on how to win friends and influence people. I want to just, you know, I want, I want the information from the book. I wish they would rename the book how to be a better friend and mm-hmm. how to listen better to people. Yeah. <laughs> because that's really what the book was about. And it's, it's been amazing. If you guys haven't read this book or haven't listened to an audio absolutely do it this is one of those books you have to listen to at 1.25 just because it is very very slow especially you know the first couple uh chapters but it gets really really good Mm -hmm. yeah it's mandatory i would say it's mandatory life reading it's great yeah 100 if you guys haven't read it yet pause right now go to investlikeaboss.com slash audio sign up for a free trial of audible and you can get this or any of the other books we're going to talk about for free and honestly, I'm gonna keep uh, I'm gonna keep Audible because at 15 bucks a month, I'm like ah, you know, I, I don't really want to spend that. Mm-hmm. But the knowledge that I've gained from listening to these books, when 
I would have put off reading the books, you know, for the longest time. It's it's absolutely worth it. So yeah. highly recommend it. Other book that I listened to this month was Elon Musk's document, uh, his, his biography by Ashley Vance. It's Ooh, called Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and something. The the quest for a fantastic future. You've read that. Yeah, great book. Super inspiring and everything you would expect from Elon. But I think it was in that book that he said that 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 was the first time he said he thought Tesla would be the first trillion dollar company. And that's when I bought Tesla stock. But I think it was like two years ago or something. I'm like, well, if he thinks he can get to a trillion dollars, that means it's going to go up 50 times from where I bought it. So even if he's half right, that leaves room for 25, 25x. Yeah, and it's he, he like listen to that book is it just really inspired me. I wasn't going to listen to it because I thought I knew everything about Tesla and Elon and his whole backstory, but I didn't. I like I literally knew maybe five percent. So if you are a fan of Tesla or Elon or just want to know more about what it takes to be you know to make a a mad genius billionaire, definitely recommend that. And mm-hmm. the book I'm listening to right now is a a memoir about, from a CEO of Nike. It's called Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. And I realized that even though Nike is one of the biggest companies in the world, I knew nothing about the, the founder of it. Mm. Did you know how they got their emblem, their, their symbol? Yeah. I'm uh, listening to – I just part, uh, passed that part right now. Okay. Should we disclose it? Go ahead. It's from the ancient Greek god of uh, a victory. And it's, it's the wing off of the great Greek god of victory. So if you see the Nike sla- uh, symbol, whatever you call it, the check mark, that is actually one wing. So obviously you haven't listened to the book yet. So I know that's my sign that homework for you. Why? Is, is that wrong? That is incorrect. <laughs> no way. I'm yeah. sure I heard that from a legitimate source before. So you, you, it's, a, it's a half truth. Okay. Uh, Nike does mean uh, goddess of victory. And the swoosh does look like one of the wings, but the way that they came up with both the name Nike and the actual swoosh, it was just dumb luck on both sides. Okay. You, have, you have to listen to the book. It's an amazing book. Okay, good. And I'll put it on my list. Yeah. You know, and, and this is, I, I, I'm sure he may even have said it now because when you backward rationalize things, you're like, oh yeah, of, of course that's the reason why. Uh, we, we did it this way, but when you are going through that, you know, that building grinding phase, mm-hmm. like half the things we do are just dumb luck. Yeah, for sure. All right. For sure. So if you guys want to listen to these books or any of the other ones that we've mentioned on our resources page, do us a favor. If you guys sign up for a free trial of, of Audible, we get credit for sending you, it makes our sponsor happy. So just go to investlikeaboss.com slash audio and sign up for a free account. Also, huge thank you to everyone who's been leaving these amazing five-star reviews of the podcast, not only on iTunes, but also on Stitcher or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And if you have already left a review or you don't, you know, you can't figure out how to leave a review, but you still want to support the show, just do us a favor. Tell maybe three friends about Invest Like a Boss, people who might get some value from the show and help us grow the show because it really is important to us. And I really like doing it. I know Sam likes doing it. Yeah. And I hope you guys like listening. So that's it. See you guys in Q4. Actually, I guess see you guys next week. <laughs> but looking forward to another update in Q4. See where we're at then. Sam, thanks again for your time and for, fun, for, your, for your lessons learned. Yeah, and uh, good job increasing that, that money bank this last quarter. Money. Money, money. All right. <laughs> see you guys next week. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at bestlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.